What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Network Podcast. I am your host, Mike Caputo. Today is February 3rd, and we are talking about Apple's new iOS 14.5 beta, where you can unlock your phone while you're wearing a mask. New wireless over-the-air charging from Xiaomi, which plans to eliminate any type of wire charging that you have in your life. And we're talking more Apple Car rumors. Now, I am joined today by my co-host, Holden DePardo. Holden, how are we doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm, yeah, doing really well. I don't have much to say today. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about, though. We we certainly do have a lot to talk about. Holden, it's 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 been a busy week. A lot of stuff going on. You know, you got, you got, you got stocks going on, and there I mean a whole bunch of stuff at Reddit, and it's just been a busy week. I think that, uh, you know, probably one of the things that we're going to start with here is going to be um, iOS 14.5. So 14.4 dropped last week. You know, we talked about that last week and the security vulnerabilities that it, that it patched. But 14.5 dropped to developers this week, and there's an interesting new feature that Apple's putting in there, and it gives you the ability to unlock your iPhone when you're wearing a mask. Hallelujah. I can't tell you how long I have been waiting for this, Holden. <laughs> it's such oh, a... Me I mean, it's, it's total first world problems, but now at least, you know, you can unlock your phone if you're wearing uh, your app, if you have an Apple Watch and you have a uh, an iPhone, I think so. It says iPhone 12. I don't know if it actually applies to the previous generation of iPhones or not. Uh, did you Did you happen to Is read it that? Really, only iPhone 12? I didn't see that. Yeah, oh, I know. No. <laughs> oh no! I wanted 10R. I'll be so bummed. <laughs> that would be such a pain, wouldn't it? Let's see. Let's see if we could find anything on that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, let's go to um, go to uh, we're gonna go to Mac Rumors because I think that's where I saw yeah. it first. Um, while you look that up, like I'd be so bummed about that because when I go to the grocery store and go grocery shopping, I'm always looking, I, I always go to my phone for my shopping list, but I've been resorting to my Apple watch lately because obviously it's annoying to unlock your iPhone with a mask on. So you have to type in the passcode. It's like, I haven't used a passcode on my phone since 2012 when the iPhone 5s came out. So it just feels, oh, it's just so painful. Yeah. It's so it's painful. It is totally painful. I'm sorry for interrupting. Let's see here. This has to be... Uh, so I did turn it on, on my iPhone, and I have an iPhone 12, um, and I have an Apple Watch. It doesn't seem to be dependent on the generation of Apple Watch, but let's see here. I don't see anything. Maybe I was... Maybe I misread that where it says it was iPhone 12, but thankfully it's iPhone, you know, iPhone 10, uh, 10 and, and above. So three-year-old phones that are going to get the feature. Now, the thing is, that's really a, a, a sneaky way... I would say to sell more Apple watches, <laughs> you, you don't want to have to you know worry about taking off your mask or entering this big complex uh, password code or passcode on your watch or on your phone. So that's it's. I mean, it's actually really nice. I'm glad that they have it in there. Uh, it's funny that you say that about going to the grocery store and you know having to always unlock your watch. You know, at the beginning of this whole thing, what I used to do is I used to take. Um, I used to, so I put everything in reminders. I would put all my reminders, take a screenshot of it, and put that as my wallpaper because I didn't want to unlock and unlock my phone. It was such a pain. Oh, that's really clever. Uh, well, now the thing is, before you weren't able to print reminders or print notes from on your iPhone. But actually, now in iOS 14.5 in the beta, they did add that as well, which thankfully... Uh, you can now select the print. I used to have to you know, uh, take a screenshot, go into photos, and print that opposed to just doing the print dialog from uh, from inside of reminders or, or notes. So that's actually very helpful. Um, yeah, so hopefully that will be soon. Now, this is, you know, the first beta, they probably have, you know, four four weeks of betas, five weeks of betas or five betas. Um, I would think possibly it's, it's not unrealistic to see this in the middle of, you know, middle to late March, which would be when they usually no normally do some type of event 
under normal circumstances. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? No, that time frame makes complete sense. Yeah. So hopefully if you're listening to this, again, it's February 3rd, you know, six weeks in the middle of March, you should be able to unlock your iPhone, assuming that you have an iPhone with Face ID and you have an Apple Watch. So that will be the good thing for that. I just want to say one more time, I sure. cannot wait for the mask unlock with Apple Watch. <laughs> I just have to say it again. That's all. I just had to say it again. I'm very excited. Mm. Did we get an answer on if it um, if it works in um, anything but an iPhone 12? It doesn't. You know, I, I thought I read one article that said iPhone 12, which is why I mentioned it, but I don't see that mentioned anywhere else. I don't see that Mac rumors, at least, and this was from Monday when it came out. Uh, let's see here. This feature is enabled manually. Things like App Store purchase. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, so the, the feature needs to be uh, enabled manually to go ahead and turn it on. So you go into settings, you go and do uh, face ID and passcode to turn it on. And you cannot use the App Store or Apple Pay uh, to be authenticated with Face ID and Apple Watch. You still need to use the full Face ID authentication and password for some actions. So that is interesting. Okay, that is interesting, yeah. I was going to say Apple Pay would have been exciting too, but I'm, I'm fine doing Apple Pay on my watch instead. That's yeah. very easy to do. That's actually, yeah, that's very easy. I, I sometimes don't, like, I forget about it where I, I go to use my, I go to use Apple Pay. And I'm like, oh, here, let me take my mask off to use. So I'm like, oh, wait, no, I have to, I can just do it on my watch. It's much simpler. Much simpler. So, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, like, it's, I just don't have that behavior of always using my watch or going to my watch first to do that. Oops. Yeah, same here. Same here. Same, same. It just feels weird to slap your wrist against a, a card machine, like, or whatever it's called. Yeah. The card reader, you're like, and, and you're like this weird card motion. Reader, you're yeah. like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. For those for those of you, you who know, are, is uh, the screen even on and at the like card anymore? Like, I can't even see it. Also, within iOS 14.5, uh, they've got two new uh, two new features, which are close to my heart. <laughs> um, they added the ability to uh, the Dual Sense controller from the PS5, and also the uh, next generation controller from the Xbox. I forgot what it's called, but uh, they added that as well. Now, I don't know if you've Maybe had the chance to. The controller it's just called the xbox controller. I, I think it's to the xbox controller i don't think there's like a special like series x version name for it or anything like that i could be wrong though do you own an xbox are you an xbox gamer i have an xbox one um ever okay. since i got my new tv and hooked it up and everything i literally haven't even turned it on nice. so i have an xbox i don't like really hate microsoft or anything i think it's still a good console but i, I wouldn't consider myself like a, an xbox person okay uh i haven't owned an xbox in probably 10 years uh my friend steve keeps trying to get me to buy one but I, i'm like no uh there's no reason because i don't have that much time to play the ps5 or even my uh my nintendo switch so i <laughs> i don't want to buy another console there's no point uh <laughs> but what is nice now in ios 14.5 you can now pair your ps5 your xbox controllers to your iphone your ipad even the apple tv none of the the next quote unquote next gen features from those controllers work on the uh, or work when they're paired with the uh, you know the iOS device, so there's no adaptive triggering, uh, there's no kind of haptic feedback. Which I, I'm still going to go on record here. I really think that they are going to do a remote control or um, a gaming controller, uh, which would be really nice. But I would like to see that some type of at least maybe you know you know uh, initial support for those features when you're playing games because that's what really makes it kind of stand out. But I guess you'd want them to do it on their own controller before they do it on anybody else's. I can't believe uh, how many people ask about, hey, how do I pair my my PS5 controller to my X or my um, my iPad to play games? It, it, people ask that question very often. So at least we're able to tell you it'll be coming soon. 
Uh, the, I don't know what the delay was. Like, what's the different? Like, is the, is it so much different that it wouldn't have just worked to begin with? That's what I find really funny. Because adaptive triggers and haptic feedback is the main differentiator. It still has the same buttons. It still has the the cross, the circle, triangle, square. All that's it's all the same stuff. Yeah, so I'm just surprised things change that much on a hardware level that it couldn't just connect immediately. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's two parts. You know, even though the Bluetooth setup. Uh, beacons being sent out from the uh, controller, you have the part where the device has to recognize it and, and like do the handshake. So I think it's, app, it's Apple willfully saying we're not ready to bring this on for whatever reason, because you could pair mm -hmm. them with an Android device. I think it's a little bit more open on, on their side of the fence, which obviously makes sense. But uh, I think maybe Apple's just reluctant to support that for whatever reason. Maybe those developers were busy doing other things like building controllers. Uh, who knows? But I think we'll know that answer in the next few weeks when it becomes uh, public. The controller support, not not the new controller that uh, I keep fantasizing about. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Apple, I think, would make a really dope controller. Although it'd be a fingerprint magnet, I bet. Yeah, it would be a fingerprint Pretty magnet. Old Apple so it'd be a fingerprint magnet. That's that's a. I think it's a pretty safe bet. But I wonder if it would have like good ergonomics because the Magic Mouse is probably the worst mouse for ergonomics in the world. And uh, the trackpad ain't bad, but the, the Magic Mouse is just dumb. Like, they would make you, you'd be holding the controller, and you'd probably have to charge it, like, directly into a button. Like, that's where the, the uh, lightning, and it would charge via lightning, probably. That would be the other thing. It would be just so ridiculously Apple. Uh, oh, man, that would be so aggravating. Anyways, um, you can, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm, I'm severely scarred from, from charging, from Magic Mouse charging. Uh, Go ahead. What they would do is, it would be right in the handle where your hand grips it. Yeah. So like in order to charge it, you literally can't even hold it. Like yeah, it would be something ridiculous like that. That would be so dumb. <laughs> Magic mouse at least. This controller is so ergonomic that we don't want you to hold it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be silly. The other thing that they added in, in 14.5, again, this is the future release of 14.5, was the ability to airplay, to, you know, support airplay to for Apple Fitness from your Apple Watch to, you know, anything that's not, um, sorry, anything that supports AirPlay 2 that is not an Apple uh, TV. Now, I I don't know how much you've played around with Apple Fitness Plus, but the cool thing about it is, and please stop me if you're, uh, if, if you have know this already, but when you're, when you're airplaying your workout from, sorry, when you're doing a workout on your watch to either your iPad, which I'm putting at my iPad right now, or your Apple TV, the cool thing is that you get your metrics right on the display. And that's because of the secure connection between your watch and uh, the the destination device. Well, AirPlay 2, they don't have that ability. And if when you're working out in the future, if you want to do this, you're only going to get uh, your you're only going to get the workout and no metrics. So none of your health metrics are going to show up on screen, like your burn bar, um, hmm. your activity rings, and things like that. Which I guess that's okay. It's a really good or clever way, in my opinion, for them to continue to sell hardware. Uh, like the Apple TV, which you're just giving, you know, these little small reasons, the way that you can remove friction from the experience. And I think a lot of people will buy into it. I don't know about you. I, I, I still feel like that is a primary kind of important aspect of fitness plus though, is to have those metrics there. Yeah, I, I agree as well. The, the metrics really make it kind of worth it. Cause you, you can, um, like when you're in a workout, you actually don't see your your metrics. You see your workout metrics that you're you know that you're currently in. You don't see your overall like activity ring, your um, number of minutes you're working out, or your stand ring. You don't see that while you're in a workout. So it's really just kind of an additional motivation, like you said, 
to continue to push on. Now, whether or not people are going to find that motivation worth 150 bucks or 160 dollars, because I think that's what they cost right now for the Apple, uh, the Apple TV, it's uh, it, that remains to be seen. That remains to be seen. I would venture that they would have to make a, a pretty significant upgrade to the Apple TV for most people to buy it. Like, it's got to be very compelling. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about gaming being one reason, and uh, I think that there'd have to be a significant health component and maybe even like an AV component or audiovisual component for it to be worthwhile and worth the upgrade in terms of getting people to wa- you know, to buy into that. Because, uh, like, you know, we just said a minute ago, you can get most of the things... You know, you can get iTunes movies, you can get your Apple Music, you can get AirPlay on these other kind of quote, uh, these dumb boxes, right? Your television, you know, a smart TV, these speakers that support AirPlay too. So you got to find ways to be interesting and innovate on for your hardware platform. Big Sur has been out since November, right? Right around November. And yeah, around there. If you're a M1 Mac Mini owner, you you've probably been in in some form of house since then, because there's been a lot of Bluetooth problems for the Mac Mini uh, in terms of flakiness, right? And that is now addressed, at least. So I've been perusing, perusing uh, my Twitter feed and talking to people that are still having issues with Bluetooth. So if you connect your mouse via Bluetooth, your keyboard, it's just really, really flaky intermittent connections between that. I don't, don't have that problem. I don't know what it is. Um, but many people complain about the connections on the Mac Mini. Now, the one thing that they did fix that was absolutely just a huge pain for me was you weren't uh, anytime that you had an external display tied to your uh, M1, you would not get the full resolution after waking from sleep like two or three times. So like I'd turn on my computer and I all of a sudden I'd have like an 800 by 600 display. I'm like, what is going on here? And it was like all pixels that are probably about the size <laughs> of fingernails. It would hurt my eyes so much. Um, but thankfully they fixed that now and that's no longer happening. We talk about Apple Car every week, it seems like, that there are many things that are happening. And the first thing that I found was interesting is that Apple is getting more and more serious about their Apple Car, uh, and they hired a former Porsche executive to go ahead and come on to, quote-unquote, the Apple Car project. So this was from Tuesday, Inside of Mac Rumors, where they picked up, uh, picked up, uh, according to Business Insider, they did go ahead and uh, lure one of the engineers from Volkswagen Group to serve as head of chassis development, uh, sorry, who served as head of chassis development prior to overseeing the Cayenne product line, which the Cayenne is a very, very sexy car. Uh, what's interesting is that this person is supposedly uh, coming to work at Apple for, quote unquote, the new car project. Now, I know there's even some more speculation about what those purported specs could be in the Apple car, which was also reported um, by Ming-Chi Kuo. And then we saw another news article today by, was it was that Mac Rumors again, Holden? Yeah. Always Mac Rumors. So uh, Apple Car, let's see here. They're saying that according to multiple unnamed sources, because you know people never they never want to give their names and lose their jobs, uh, <laughs> that the Apple Car will be autonomous electric vehicles designed to operate without a driver and focused on the last mile. So working really in maybe the uh, the delivery industry, maybe the uh, the uh, personal uh, like livery livery industry. Uh, and CNBC speculates that Apple Car would be designed for food delivery operations and incorporate robot taxis. So I don't know if you remember this, Holden. It might be about two years ago that Apple became like a majority or an investor in Didi. I think that's how you pronounce it. Didi is a car, a car 
hailing service or car rights, uh, car sharing service in mm-hmm. China. China. Apple invests <laughs> in Didi. Uh, every time I say China like that, it reminds me of, uh, what was his name? There was this show that Crank Anchors. You ever watch that? No. Oh my God, it was so funny. Uh, it's I've a show. It before. Uh, crank Anchors. It's like the Muppets, but like who are, they're really obscene and they do crank phone calls. <laughs> it's really funny. That's that's good. I love crank phone calls. Yeah. Apple that's invests hilarious. $1 billion in Chinese ride hailing service Didi. Apple said uh, on Thursday it invested $1 billion in Chinese ride hailing service, a move that Apple chief executive Tim Cook said the company better understand the ch- critical Chinese market. This was in 2016. He's like, um, $1 billion sounds like a lot, but then you realize, oh, yeah, wait, that's literally nothing for them. Yeah. Uh, they made 111 of those billions last quarter. He's like, hey, Eddie, can you go check the couch? We need a billion. <laughs> I would hate to be in a bidding war with Apple. Like, you're just going like, oh, gosh, should I go to $1.2 billion? Apple's like, yeah, go for it. Uh, $2 billion. <laughs> Like, yeah. damn it. I can't go higher than $1.2. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Continuing on with the article, uh, let's see here. Uh, CNBC speculates that the initial Apple car could be designed for food delivery. I said that uh, somewhere in the U.S. and China, Waymo have public tested uh, robot taxis. Now, the tidbit of Apple to produce a driverless car comes at a wider report suggesting Apple to cl- uh, close on the finalizing of Apple car deal with Hyundai. So the other thing is that, you know, they talked to Hyundai a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about it here, where um, Apple has been trying to strike deals with other, you know, uh, other manufacturers, car part manufacturers, car manufacturers for other components or systems within the car. We, we talked about Canoe, they talked about Hyundai and several others, um, which is interesting. So it shows that they are getting more and more serious and who knows, maybe Dan Riccio is going to do this whole thing in like 2025. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think this is, I mean, usually I don't like, I I like all rumors. They're just fun to talk about and think about. And but usually you have to put a huge grain of salt in with you know from un uh, unnamed sources because they could just literally be lying for a headline. <laughs> like you have no idea. But this makes so much sense to me because they're doing this really big push for uh, for services. That's like one of their main ventures they want to get into now. So I was kind of texting you ahead uh, before we recorded. But like, what if? What if Apple Car is a car you can buy, but it's most people interact with it as a service, where whether that's just you pay a small fee to, to get an Uber, just like you would now, or to get an Apple Car, just like you get an Uber, or it's a subscription, like you subscribe to Apple Car, and if you need to ride somewhere, you have like priority access or something like that. You can get it at the front of the line because you subscribe to Apple Car. Like there's, a, I don't know exactly what the business model would look like, but that's an interesting idea and so they're just be just apple cars driving all over the place just like they're ubers driving all over the place um i think that'd be really 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 fascinating if it if they treated it like a service first and then if you just want to have your own because you don't want to wait for anything you want to go to the grocery store and there's always just one there waiting for you i mean you can get that too if you have the money for it but if it's primarily a service i think that's really interesting because last uh, last, is it last time we talked to the time before? Um, we were talking about like what's the big thing that Apple would do in cars that would change the game? Where it's like the iPod changed the game with music, the iPhone changed the game with um, 
with phones, Apple Watch, Apple with watches, so on and so forth. What's that with cars? And I think that could be it. That would be a complete paradigm shift for for buying a car or interacting with with cars as a user. I think you're you're definitely onto something. Uh, what I also think that could be possible is, you know, at the heart of everything that they are doing nowadays, right? We talk about like the hub and spoke model where the iPhone is the, is the center of all these other products, services, and accessories that you buy into. So maybe it's not only that, right? Uh, maybe there's a component where if you want to get into the car, you're using your iPhone to unlock it, right? Even though it's not your car, you're getting a temporary key sent to you. If you want to... Um, uh, sign on to the service, right? You're doing it through your your iPhone or, or your Apple Watch. It's all integrated into the wallet app uh, where you have the, those keys stored. Um, I think it's all those things and and what also you're suggesting. So there's, there's definitely many uh, uh, fascinating components. Uh, sorry, there's definitely many facets to it, uh, which would be, uh, makes me very hopeful, I think, uh, that they would have something very soon. But, you know, even if you have cars that are automated, the, the big problem that people aren't talking about is like roads, right? Like roads are a really big part of automate, automated cars because you have cars, or sorry, you have roads that depending on when your city was built and when your, you know, your community was built, those roads are maybe 15, 20 years old. Like I live in a brand new city. Uh, or if, when I live in Chicago, those roads are 100 years old. And there's there's adaptability there that the car needs to have consideration. And how do they solve for that? Uh, I don't know. That, that is interesting, though. Like, yeah, about, it, that's you, an you incredibly in the, hard problem to right? solve. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to overtalk. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, like, yeah, you I live in the Northeast. and the. Go ahead. You're good. <laughs> I was going to say, like, think about the cars in like Boston. Or the cars, but the roads in Boston. Like the small roads inside of like the north end of Boston. That's what kind of sticks out to me. How those are designed much differently, I bet, than the roads where you're at in, uh, sorry, where you're at in Rhode Island. Um, like it's just, it's, there has to be a lot of change. And I don't know how, how we bridge that gap from, uh, from the time that car's out to the time that actually is uh, available. Maybe it's not fully automated. Um, it's it's going to be like last mile, like they suggest. Mm-hmm. It also could be, no, you're fine. Um, it could also be that... Um, they release it per city and they kind of branch it out over time. So like they'll start off in United States only and only in LA and New York city. If they can get it to adapt to LA and New York city, then they'll do Boston next to Chicago next, Dallas, Houston, um, Omaha, so on and so forth until they have, you know, the, um, the major cities covered and then they'll go into rural areas and they kind of go from there. Cause yeah, you're right. Like roads in Boston are an, absolute nightmare they're terrible they're narrow the paths are confusing um it's and i know obviously a a computer can comprehend information much faster than a human can but it's it it would be just a huge obstacle i think to figure out different cities like that i think it's a really good point maybe that you like you know to your point there maybe they do city by city if you look at the way that they rolled out the maps upgrade you know they rolled out you know, they definitely rolled out city by city, but uh, they kind of took on small parts of the country or small sections of the country where they, they did all the map upgrades for that part. Then they moved on to the next big region, then moved on to the next big region, then they moved to the, you know Canada, then they moved to Europe. So I think that makes sense. What you're suggesting is that they're not necessarily doing a wide blanket rollout, 
but they're doing something in uh, in small kind of regionalized sections of the country and then doing maybe doing country by country uh, at later points in time. Regardless, mm-hmm. I am more excited, I think, for Apple Car now than I have been in the past. Before, it's like, oh, yeah, yes. they're going to do something with the cars. Um, <laughs> but now it's like, oh, what are they going to do with cars? This could actually be really, really huge. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I guess we don't hear anything about like other technology companies that operate in Apple's in Apple sphere, trying to emulate or not emulate, but trying to copy, um, like what they're doing, what they're supposedly doing in the car space. So you don't hear about like is Samsung making a car? You don't hear those like preposterous rumors. Is that because is the Samsung not have the wherewithal? Like are, people are not even suggesting that. I think Samsung is a very a successful company like a conglomerate, they make many different products across many different uh, sub-brands. But I, I guess why why don't we hear that? Yeah, it's a good question because they also, first of all, just love to copy Apple. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, yes, I, yeah, for sure. The uh, Maybe it could be this. Smartphones, tablets, and smartwatches are where we see them competing with oh, laptops as well are where we see them competing with Apple and Samsung's already kind of been in those industries. And this is such a huge deviation. Like we don't see Samsung music services. We don't see, is there a Samsung TV? Like we, don't, Oh, well they have television sets. That was, that was ridiculous. Me to say, of course they're in TV. Um, they, but they like they're, have... they're not, sorry, I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. No, 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 it was basically my point. Like, I just don't think they're in cars because like, it's not something they're already in or they're close to. Like, they, they make processors. That's why they can get in to those different markets. They're, they're also a processors company and a um, computer components company. They're, they're not in car components. They're not really as heavily into that field as Apple is willing to just try to change the world in different ways. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it, um, what I was going to say when I interrupted you, and again, I'm sorry, uh, that they... No worries, you're good. They did have a music service. It was called Milk, M-I-L-K. Oh, yeah. And, and it failed horribly. I can't imagine why it was called Milk. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why it was called Milk. That's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's such but, a horrible name. <laughs> yeah, that's a really horrible name. I'm sorry, that's just such a terrible thing I can't get over. <laughs> wow. Golden but like, what, what does milk have to do with music? Like, they should do other names like bubbly water. Bubbly tea. tea. Samsung bubbly tea. <laughs> What's Samsung bubbly tea? Oh, it's a music service. <laughs> Wait, what, what, what is it? What's the, like, one, the one bubbly tea that's really popular? It's like matcha tea or something? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I gotta like this up now. <laughs> so I actually wrote Samsung bubbly tea instead of Samsung milk. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, milk music. Milk music streaming service. Samsung began the milk streaming service on September 2016. Is Oh, sorry. It was introduced 2014. It doesn't say when it actually... Is it still open? Um, I have the uh, Samsung, the official statement from Samsung. Is sunsetting the Samsung Milk Music Service in the United States on September 22nd, 2016. 
they probably want to transition to Samsung milk, uh, Samsung bacon music service. Yeah, the bacon, bacon, or bacon. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 the biscuits and gravy uh, video service. <laughs> that's the premium version. That that's is the premium, premium version. version. Yeah, that's the pay version. Yeah, bacon, bacon's still good, but biscuits and, and gravy is just it's, it's classic and it's premium. But so I it all just because gravy only it. has country music. It's a country music rendition of <laughs> of their music service. <laughs> all joking aside, you you have to give it to Samsung because they do try things. They don't obviously do well, <laughs> they but do. they are willing to take the bet. I'm just yeah, I'm just in awe. Of, I totally forgot about that, and that yeah, it's kind of a joke. Yeah, I'm trying to think of just like a worse name that I've heard for. A branded product from a major corporation, then I think I think that takes the cake. Milk. Let's talk about what Ming Chi Kuo thinks that it's going to be in terms of uh, the specifications for the new Apple Car. Again, this is uh, oh, this is actually nine to five Mac this time, but uh, Ming Chi Kuo is talking about this car, how it's going to be obviously a excuse me a, a battery operated vehicle or a battery electric vehicle, and they have some features in here that the that Ming Chi Kuo is suggesting that the car might have, uh, in terms of, you know, getting I think top speeds of 160 mi- 160 miles an hour, having a 300 mile on a full charge, and uh, let's see here, having a range of 60 miles with just a five minute charge, like, so I I see where he's um, where he's going, like he's saying what is the best case scenario uh, that they could achieve with the technology today. But the 60 miles in five minutes, that reminds me of like fast charging that you get with your headphones. Like you can get just 15 minutes yeah. of music or just an hour and a half of music with a 15 minute charge. <laughs> like it sounds more like an Apple Car 2 kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, Hyundai's spec sheet says that maximum speed is 160 miles an hour with zero to 60 in less than 3.5 seconds. So I've actually never experienced the uh, the insanity, which is like ludicrous mode or whatever they call it in the in the Teslas. So I've never been in an electric vehicle and had it launch, but this doesn't sound like entirely very impressive because I think the Teslas are like two seconds if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Tesla zero yeah. sixty. But yeah, if it's supposed to be a service, it doesn't need to be a Tesla. It doesn't need to have ludicrous speed because. Like oh, I need to make sure these groceries get to me faster. Kick the kick the Apple Car to ludicrous speed won't really be necessary. So if that's what they're going for, I don't know if it needs to be that kind of vehicle, especially if it's driverless and it's fully autonomous. Yeah, but there is a little bit of uh, what's the word like showboating? Like my car goes zero sixty in two and a half seconds. But I yeah. understand what you're saying. You're, it, it's there's no one driving the car. You don't need that type of speed. I just wonder how much that kind of thing is going to change. If if like this is good, this if this kind of changes our understanding of cars in the way that iPhone changed our understanding of phones, I think that kind of like muscle car and like you know kind of mentality is going to be a hobby, and Apple doesn't really necessarily need to go for those kind of hobbies. Yeah. So what you're saying is that. Apple will deliver kind of like a timeless design that is more middle of the road and doesn't take too many risks. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think it'll they'll want it to stand out because they're basically going to be driving billboards for their service. Yep. 
So they'll still want to stand out, but I think timeless is a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Like a Porsche. Porsches don't really look that much different year, no. like 60 year, not 60, I don't know how old Porsches, but like old, old Porsches don't really look that much different than Porsches nowadays. They're just sleeker, cooler looking. Uh, Here's the thing, are, too, that just kind of hit right. me um, is because I made that joke about Apple Car 2. If they do a service model, Apple Car 2 is not really going to be a thing. They'll just say, like, hey, we have improved Apple Car models. We're releasing them in Los Angeles and New York um, in the following weeks. And then throughout 2020, you know, 2027, uh, we'll be um, releasing them throughout the, the rest of the country. Like, it's going to just kind of ch- – it's going to be a different model completely than, like, a new phone every year. Yeah. And so it's kind of away from the story, but – I also uh, go back to the whole story though. I don't know much about car specs to begin with, so I read that stuff and I'm like, "Ooh, that sounds kind of cool," but I don't really know much about cars, so. So I don't. Um, I don't. Yeah. So that I, I was no just looking at the specs for the Tesla and the Tesla, the Tesla Roadster, which isn't out yet. It's supposed to be out this year, but it probably won't be out this year. It goes zero to sixty, or it can hit zero to sixty in two and a half seconds. So it's almost it's almost a second and a half faster. I mean. When you think about like velocity and acceleration, that's really fast. Um, let's see. The thing is, this is being made at a Kia plant or a Hyundai plant. Those are the kind of the companies that are rumored. Yeah. So that would fall more in line with their that kind of uh, style of car. Yeah. So Porsche was founded in 1931. Wow. Uh, just for your oh, and actually, I forgot this. It's or we just said it a minute ago, but it's owned by Volkswagen. Yep. Yeah, I forgot. Um, let's see here. I don't know, like zero to sixty. I guess for a car that is driverless, let's assume it's driverless. If it if it's mm-hmm. if it is driverless, zero to sixty doesn't matter. Um, the top speed doesn't necessarily matter, right? Because you're not. I mean, in, in theory, you're in the, the robot or the computer's not racing someone. Uh, <laughs> like right. <It's, laughs> I mean, I'm just yeah. thinking about this. Oh crap, honey! Our, our Apple car is gonna race against the Google car next to it. Like, yeah. Oh, uh, here comes Waymo. <laughs> here comes Waymo. Yeah, uh, but like you know, like you said last week or the week before, there are some things that are present in cars that kind of fall to the wayside in terms of design and features that don't matter anymore once the car becomes autonomous. Like you said, like um, uh, the way that the seats are positioned, entertainment kind of uh, communication within the car, those things become more important. And those other things about like how fast is the car, um, you know, which way are you taking to get there? Those things kind of become less important because it's all handled by, you know, onboard computers. So for those who are, uh, uh, who are listening or watching, um, I canceled my Stadia account, my Stadia service. I was free for three months, but I just didn't use it. (laughs) So um, Holden, cleverly said you know i sent over my cancellation email to him and he just kind of blanked it out saying you're losing nothing because say they give you nothing <laughs> yeah you know i played it a handful of times it was it was good but it's it's nothing that i would use over like uh ps remote play yeah it, i mean it, it does work well for what it is but i think people are fine buying consoles and it seemed to be kind of targeting a console market. It was a weird. It was a weird play. I think this is. I don't know. Like I'm kind of mixed on this because like I don't have a lot of faith in Stadia. 
But I kind of felt like their saving grace was going to be that they are the only company right now that is cloud only. Xbox is always going to have consoles. PlayStation has consoles. Nintendo doesn't know what the internet is. And Stadia is the only console that is is cloud-based only. And there are some unique opportunities to make games for that platform that don't exist anywhere else. And given how their footprint in the video game market is so low, it's highly, highly unlikely that an Activision or an EA or you know, a, a Ubisoft or some huge publisher is going to be a part of a massive cloud game, a AAA experience that would make Google Google's platforms shine. They were going to have to rely on themselves to make that cloud-specific game. And now they don't have that option. So now I'm kind of left with, well, what are you... How are you going to stand out? You already didn't stand out before. So I'm just very confused by this. I feel like they could have saved themselves if they made the massive risk and made their own games. So the thing that I don't get is, first of all, I think Nintendo not knowing what the internet is is classically funny because that's so true. Um, (laughs) So, so true. Like their entire, um, the entire online interaction is really, really, really bad. Um, Like, I I liked what Google was doing in terms of approach for saying, okay, we know about, uh, we know how like infra works and how data centers work and how the internet works. We're going to build games using those as our core kind of like design principles. And you, you know, you game studios work backwards because you know about consoles and performance, like on these very, very small platforms let's work together and we'll, we'll build something that's kind of, that has the best of both worlds. But then all of a sudden, I mean, that's not all of a sudden, but like, is it, it's a year, maybe? Is it maybe 18 months? How long is it since Stadia launched? Uh, November 2019, I think is when they launched. Okay. So it's about 18 months, right? 20, November, no, in 2018. So it's, it's like two years. Um, 2019, 2019. Oh, 2019. Okay. So it's, it's, uh, it's not even two years. It's 18 months. Um, yeah. that they're sunsetting the service. It just seems like they, they, there's all this like gusto and confidence with launching services. But when it comes to like, maybe like the short-term horizon of it, I have, sorry, when it comes to the short-term horizon of measuring, is it success or is it a failure? They always measure it too early. Like it seems to me where they always kill the service. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is something so I, I I was planning on doing this whole big video essay series for Responding Fire on um, Stadia. I ended up making one episode of it, and I just honestly hated the process of making video essays. So I'm like, screw this. <laughs> it's just not for me. Um, I like having conversations. I don't like talking to the camera directly, and it just feels so weird to me. Um, but anyway, so I had all this research for three more episodes um, of it, and um, I looked very, very closely at this, and... I felt like Google, when it comes to Google dropping services, what I found is that the things that they tend to drop are small things. Like, for example, Google Wave, right? 
Google Wave was the service where you could type it out and it would like show up on screen. And it's like, oh, it's so funny. Google Wave is gone now. But here's the thing. It's not gone. The underlying technology exists in Google Docs. So they kept the technology and put it into something that people actually care about. And I was kind of thinking like, this is so big though. Stadia is so big that I don't see them just dropping it. And if they drop it, where do they put that underlying technology? Because that they can still make money off of that technology. So I was thinking like, okay, maybe they can start working on game engines and things like that, or or tools for game engines that facilitate better cloud interactions, things like that. But then NVIDIA's gotten so big in that, um, and there's another company too that, uh, I, I can't remember now, has gotten into that, that I don't think Google has enough of a presence that they can facilitate the relationships to become a part of Unreal Engine in, in that way or something like that. And it just... I just don't know what their future is because they still have Stadia. You can still get Stadia Pro. You can still go to Stadia and buy games for free with the lower resolutions and the lower frame rates. But who's going to do that now? So they've just put themselves in a position of closing Stadia in the next year or two. I just don't see what the future is on this. So I don't know. Um, do they? So the, um, what was closed down is yeah, isn't necessarily the Stadia service, but it was the development arm of the Stadia service, right? Yeah, yeah. So the first was, party studio. Yep. So the first party uh, uh, um, development studios for games. So uh, did they have any first? I guess did they have any titles at launch? No, no titles at launch. All of their titles that were exclusive were yeah. small games that you're just not gonna jump on Stadia for, and none of them were made by them. They were just developers they had worked with. Mm, and a lot okay. of those games could have just come to other consoles. Stadia, Google just put the money down to make them exclusive. Oh, there was one game I think might have only been possible on Stadia, and that was a game called... Um, was it... Defeat All Orcs 3 or something like that? I can't remember what it was called. Something, something Orcs 3. Um, and... But that, I guess they could have come to next-gen consoles. They kept talking about how the power of the cloud helped them make that, but every every game studio says that when they're making a game for a new console. Like, thanks to the power of the SSD and PlayStation 5, we can finally do the things that we've always wanted to do. And then the game comes to Xbox Series X and it comes to PC, and clearly they didn't need the PS5, really. It was just marketing. So it's kind of hard to know, like, when they were talking about that, oh, Orcs Must Die, that's what it's called. Um, when they were talking about Orcs Must Die 3, was it really that they needed the Stadia tech, or is it just that that's how the marketing and messaging works with the launching of every new console? Yeah, so I th I think there you know um, the reason why I, I want to talk about this because I wonder if there's maybe not overlap but impact from Stadia deciding to close down its first party development and what we see Apple doing for Apple Arcade, and so like you know you'd mentioned that there were, are no first party Stadia games at launch maybe not no none but there was maybe small titles. Um, Apple has a development studio that they use for Apple games, correct? Oh, I actually don't know. Um, so I, I thought, like, the way that it was framed when Apple Arcade launched was Apple's putting all this money into games, uh, and they're partnering with big manufacturers, sorry, big developers for game titles, and that they were essentially bankrolling these these um, these mm -hmm. studios for development of what would be exclusive games now. I haven't seen too many games that have been that have been exclusive to the iPhone uh, or to iOS come to other consoles. They're just they make a lot of sense on 
the mobile platform they mm-hmm. say maybe would not adapt well or be, be popular on a uh, on like a PlayStation or an Xbox or even on a, a Nintendo Switch. Uh, yeah, I I don't know for certain. Um, I I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they have in-house developers working on some games. I my understanding of it was that they had it was like a second-party experience where you're working with a third-party developer, but it's second-party because the game is only going to come to Apple. They're making that game only for Apple Arcade. Oh, then I, I think I have uh, the wrong interpretation of what first-party versus second-party means. Can you h- help me understand that? Yeah, so um, first-party is like looking at Sony, for example, right, mm-hmm. um, with PS5. Naughty Dog is a first-party developer. They make the Uncharted games, they make Last of Us, and they make those games specifically for... Um, Specifically for the um, for the for the PlayStation, then you have the third parties like you know Rockstar or EA Activision. They just make games for everything. Second party would be a company like Blue Point. Blue Point is not owned by um, Sony, but they made Demon Souls and they made Shadow of the Colossus and they did the Uncharted collection on on um, on PS4 and all that. And they made those games only for PlayStation consoles, but they are not in and of themselves a PlayStation owned entity. Oh, okay. So Naughty Dog is owned by Sony Studios, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, so. okay. Uh, Rockstar is an independent developer. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is Bluepoint is someone that kind of straddles the line between a third-party developer and a first-party developer, which is why they're second-party. Uh, and yep. taking, they don't maybe create new content, but they adapt current content for existing platforms. Is that how you think about it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. In that case of Bluepoint, I think that's absolutely fair. Um they they don't they're not making original games they're just bringing things to um, PS5 or or something like yeah. that. Um, but you also have like uh, From Software um, released Bloodborne, which is like a second party game for um, for mm. PlayStation Four because like From Software it's its own entity they make their own games, um, but it's still like Bloodborne is a second party game because it's never going to come to Xbox, it's not coming to Switch. There's no PC version of it. It's just for PS4. Hmm. Um. So I do know Apple designed one game. I think it was Texas Hold'em, but it's a very, very old game. Does Apple design mm-hmm. games? They also made games for the iPod classics. Yeah, a long time ago. A long time ago. And there were actually some ones that weren't that bad. Also, funny thing, too. Do you know who invented Brick Breaker? Uh, no, I don't. Steve Wozniak and uh, Steve Jobs. They, they were working at Atari at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, does Apple design its own games? Is not a search term that comes back with very intelligible results. Um, okay. Well, I, I think I guess the reason why I wanted to talk about it was to see if there's some type of linkage between maybe what uh, Google was doing with Stadia and what Apple's doing with Arcade because they were talked about and um, announced right around the same time in 2019. It just seems like mm-hmm. Stadia and Google are giving up way far in advance. And Apple is kind of doubling down on it. And I don't know, yeah. I guess maybe it's, it's really the, the difference in approach that each of the companies have to most of the things that they try and bring to market, where Apple surely bets that the future is uh, is very, very, uh, sorry, um, it would be specialized hardware um, running commoditized software, where Google thinks it's the other way around. It's, it's specialized software running on commoditized hardware. Um. Hmm, well, that's interesting. 
Well, yeah, I do think one way that it could impact the future is if if Apple Arcade Plus does happen and it's like Apple streaming service, I based on how Apple has handled Apple Arcade, they're going to be thinking about exclusive content. They're going to be keeping that in mind. And if they launch with a streaming service available on a plethora of Apple devices and it has exclusive games, they beat Stadia. Hands yeah. down, I think. But uh, sorry, it was a very loud. Pl- uh, I, but um, but Google, uh, sorry, but Apple Arcade is not a streaming service. It's a all the content's local on the device, isn't it? Yeah, this would be a hypothetical Apple Apple Arcade Plus. Okay, like if they did get into game streaming, but yeah, Apple Arcade is not a streaming service. So what if they did Apple Arcade Plus, but not necessarily as a um, as as a streaming service, but as a way to um, just get higher quality games uh, included in the uh, in the catalog with better gameplay and, and kind of better um, mechanics to it. Would that be appealing? I don't know. I think that might be. I think that might be tough because like I I feel like it would be like having. It would be like having Apple TV as a subscription service. And then also having an Apple TV Plus service, but like one has better types of movies in it. And I feel like if they're going to have a game service, it's just going to be all one, unless there's something fundamentally different about how they operate. Um, so maybe Apple Arcade Plus isn't even the best term for it. Because um, I, th- I, th- I feel like, I can say what you're saying. Like you have mobile games and you have console games is kind of the distinction that's being drawn. Like you have these kind of games that are more mobile, mobile oriented. And then you also want to have a place for games that are that triple a console experience. Yeah. That's, that's actually a good consideration. I hadn't considered how they would properly distinguish because having it as two separate services, very similarly named could be difficult, but also they are different types of services like the Apple arcade customer and this hypothetical Apple arcade plus are or just different customer bases. Yeah, because like, um, what I what I sorry as I as you and I are talking about this, like Apple, if it's a streaming service, it it then becomes just like it's commoditized, right? Because you can put that streaming service on any type of plat on any type of hardware and it will run, right? Like that's why like you can take Apple TV Plus and you can watch it on your on your Apple your you know your phone your iPad your TV but you can also watch it on Windows you can watch it on the web it's you know it's commoditized to the fact where it'll play anywhere the game itself what makes the game you know exceptional is the hardware that it runs on and the experience that you have while playing the game not the streaming portion of it at least that's how I think about it um, yeah I, I don't know it, it'd be interesting I, I really like uh, like to think how they're going to do this because not everyone has uh, the the bandwidth or the service to play streaming games. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's also a huge factor, yeah. Yeah, and Apple probably doesn't have the the infrastructure like Google has to you know to host those games locally in their data centers. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Which sorry, this is a little tangent, but I'm glad you brought that up because that's also another reason why I think Google dropped the boat. Oh, uh, dropped the ball. Dropped the boat. What does drop the boat even mean? Just drop the boat. Like drop yeah, the I don't boat know why like, it's dropped the, the boat. Yeah, but then drop the ball. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because Google, Microsoft, and Amazon kind of control the majority of servers globally, they were in a unique they're in a unique position to be on top of gaming in the future because they are going to have a better understanding of their infrastructure. They're going to give themselves priority over other people on their uh, in their that rent out servers from them, so they could own gaming in that respect if gaming really does become primarily cloud-based so amazon's doing it microsoft's definitely in the long game google's like back backing out it feels like so like they they have they play the long game they can do it they just got to play the long game have you played with amazon's gaming service i can't remember what it's called it's like it's not echo but it's i haven't no i have very little experience with using the cloud services to begin with i played a little bit of stadia that's really about it like i've done r- remote play on ps on um, playstation but i just don't have a need for it so i don't really use it yeah it's called luna amazon luna it should be the name of it yep amazon luna. i think i think amazon's gonna do well with it they um they they have the largest infrastructure of servers out of any other company so more than google more than microsoft by a lot too like they're huge most of the internet that people use is on amazon servers yeah Uh, an article from a couple hours ago new amazon ceo commits to making video games following closure of google stadia studios (laughs) (laughs) wow interesting Poor, poor Google. Okay. Um, anything else we want to add to the whole Stadia fiasco? Ah, I think that covers that. Cool. Did you happen to see this? The M, the, sorry, the M1. The Mi Wireless Over-the-Air Charging Station? I did. I did see it. It's ridiculous. Hold on. Let's it is. Up. It's very cool. A little, little concerning. <laughs> what, what's the I don't usually play the whole like what do these Bluetooth headphones impact your health like how does it give you brain cancer and stuff like I've never I don't like it whatever man shut up but like with this I'm kind of like oh my god like that's just transferring electricity <laughs> the power devices to the air what's gonna happen to us I, I kind of did have that reaction <laughs> yeah so I think what's interesting here is that um so it's Xiaomi introduced the uh, world's first over-the-air charging system called Mi Air Charge. And so um, Xiaomi is a, if you're not familiar with them, they're a very, um, uh, they're a large global smartphone manufacturer that's based in China. They don't sell phones here in the U.S. Uh, at least I, they don't sell phones through, um, through, through carrier partners like AT&T or Verizon. Um, but they do sell phones. They probably unlocked. You could buy them on, uh, through other channels. Uh, what is interesting is here is that you are able to take your phone in the house, and the phone is is specially equipped to receive uh, these uh, the wireless charging rays, as I'd like to call them. Um, and you have this box which looks like a speaker. It's it's probably about a foot and a half or eighteen inch or eighteen inches tall, maybe twenty inches tall, and it is your phone will slow charge by proximity when this box is in the room now the box is limited to charging at five watts which i don't know if you like remember five watts wireless charging is horrible it's i mean it's slow that's why it's horrible and that's because there's a lot of loss that is created when you wireless charge wirelessly charge so 
like I have so many questions on this. Like not only the will I get cancer from using it, but um, <laughs> like how how does distance and obstacles play into effect with this? Um, they said obstacles doesn't impact too much, which I found interesting because how could it not? Like I mean, I don't understand the physics of this and how it operates, but just like with my lack of understanding on it, I would love to know why it doesn't interfere. Because Wi-Fi is interfered with obstacles in the way, like a cement wall, for example. And to what degree do they mean obstacles? Like, is the refrigerator not a problem, but a cement wall is a problem? Like, I'm just curious what they mean by that. Yeah. But yeah, I think the... the is it, go ahead. No, go ahead. The, the What you're bringing up, though, about the loss of energy is a great point. Because... Wireless charging, ultimately wireless charging is really just conductive charging. You just have two objects right next to each other. And there's a loss of energy when they're right next to each other, let alone when they're meters away. Does it mean that it drops to like less than a watt if you're too far away? Yeah. What does that look like? But the, the possibilities of the technology is fantastic, though. Cancer yeah. aside, which I was just kind of joking about. I would definitely get one of these if it worked well enough. <laughs> Now, the reason why I think this is where it's very interesting is that this has been a product uh, or a purported product that Apple was working on for several years, uh, and not AirPower, but something that they bought a company that, that, you know, every year at CES, there was this company who was always, uh, they were always like, oh, we're demonstrating, you know, wireless charging, you know, over the air wireless charging, not wireless charging, like how we use it today, and it never materialized, and it was year after year, year after year, and then Apple bought them, and then there was rumors that it was going to be in one of the iPhones. I forgot which one it was. It never materialized. And that's probably four years ago at least. And now this is uh, this is coming out from Xiaomi. It just, I, I really wonder what it costs and what the, um, like what's the efficiency of this wireless charger. Five watts seems really slow. But I guess if your phone is always charging, no matter if you're you know holding it or whether it's on the table, it doesn't really matter how fast it charges because it's constant, right? Like you don't. Yeah. You you have to put your phone on a fast charging pad to get a you know to get a quote unquote quick charge because you need it and uh, you need it to get a sufficient uh, battery level within a short period of time. Uh, but here in this scenario, you're always being char- your phone is always charging, uh, so it can you know it can um, not drip charge what's the right word like um, slow charge. Uh, over long periods of time because it's always charging. Huh. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up. It would have to be a energy input to the device that is greater than it decharges and it uses the battery. As long as it's above that threshold, then it's totally fine. Yeah, here is the... uh... Here's the article. This is four years ago. This is on Apple Insider. Uh, Energist CEO makes tenuous reference to future iPhone as leading platform wireless charging. Uh, <laughs> he says, I can't tell you who it is, but I can virtually guarantee <laughs> that you will have products from this company on your person sitting at your desk this year. Sure you will. <laughs> Good thing you didn't guarantee because <laughs> it didn't happen, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be a tough. It's going to be a tough thing to implement because it's not just about having the wireless charger. It's about having every device that you have work with that wireless charger. Hmm. 
So I also feel like the industry kind of screwed themselves by calling conductive chargers wireless chargers. Yeah. Because now what are they going to call this thing? I guess an air charger. Over the air charger. But I think Apple would call it magic charger. It's a magic charge. That's what they would call it. Magic keyboard, magic trackpad, magic charger. What if this is, uh, I mean, it's, it's way too early, but what if this is the charging mechanism that is inside of the new MacBooks? That'd be interesting. The device looks really big, though. Uh, sorry. Well, I, yeah. Um, what if the new MacBooks have these antennas in them? Right? Oh, that would be really interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. That would be very interesting, yeah. Because like, you could just use your laptop anywhere in your house, as long as you have enough of these, um, the, um, what is that, receiver, but uh, I guess a energy router. Um Different enough those energy routers in the house to like use your laptop anywhere, but yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. You know, like we want to get your laptop in a certain position on the desk, but the cord prevents you from doing that. Hey, <laughs> um, it prevents you from doing that. So that would be kind of like a nice way to handle that. And I think the Macs would probably get it before a phone does, just because of the size of a Mac versus the size of a an iPhone. But it would be uh, it would be cool to see. Um, so I think that would be really cool if they were to implement this because like you said, you could be able to use your Mac anywhere in your house and get all of the benefits of being constantly plugged in without any, having any of the drawbacks of being tethered to a wall plug, which it was like, I think mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Um, it might be a while before we get that, though. It's just dawning right now um, because an 89-watt charger versus a 5-watt charger. Yeah. So, I mean, it might be a while before we see that. But, yeah, I mean, once it gets to that point, that'd be incredible. That would be incredible. Probably the, the biggest news of the week is all uh, everything that's been going on in the past, I would say, seven days with, <laughs> with on Reddit with Wall Street Bets and GameStock, AMC, and even BlackBerry. So these the kids today. No, so th- there is this kind of shorting of stock that's going on. And I don't want to mischaracterize it, so hold it if you please correct me if I'm wrong. But what is happening is that there are large hedge funds who traditionally short stocks, which this happens all the time. It's not anything new. Uh, and they tend to do stocks that are underperforming for long periods of time to drive the stock down, then to continually buy options on them and then reinvest that money. Uh, and Wall Street bets, uh, the individuals on Wall Street bets got a whole, you know, wind of it or they were somehow brought into it. And they start driving the stock up, which had adverse effects uh, on those hedge funds where they had to lose a whole bunch of, a lot of money, let's just say that. Um, mm-hmm. Holden, help me fill in the gaps there. So where, where am I kind of color, uh, coloring or characterizing this incorrectly? Yeah, and just, just to, I want to kind of do a little um, disclaimer beforehand. I am very new to learning about stocks. I have spent a ton of time in the past like week and a half looking into this because I find the stories really fascinating and I, I basically did a, a really, really heavy self-driven crash course on how all this stuff works. <laughs> um, so I feel like I am in a good place, but don't take anything I'm saying as like fact because I am new to this. I'm very so new to this. So what you're saying is um, that you're not yeah. a financial advisor, Holden? I'm not a financial advisor. <laughs> Definitely not a financial advisor. Um, so yeah, so yeah, the the shorting is a pretty standard practice, actually. It's basically... To kind of to explain like how it works, um, 
you t- you go to your broker and you just say, hey, I want to take out a loan for this stock. We'll say GameStop, right? And GameStop's trading for $10 at the time. And they think, well, we think that it's going to go down to 5 So they take that loan stock that they got, and then they sell it immediately for $10, the market value. But now they own, a, as a loan to their broker, that stock. So they hope that the price goes down so they can buy the stock back again at $5, and then they can repay the loan with that $5 stock, and they keep the $5 difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of basically like how that's working. Um, right. It's not like, I think people are kind of talking about it as if it's like market manipulation. It's no more market manipulating than buying a stock normally would be. Um, the manipulation tends to come in when these hedge funds will uh, put out fake news stories and stuff like that to purposely drive down a stock because they they say this company is really horrible. Um, so like, and the shorting has been going on for for years. It's been going on for a very very long time. And what kind of prompted this uprise is that a one of the redditors, his name is um, Deep. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the, the f bomb. I drop the f bomb. Sure, go ahead. It's part of his name. It's part of the story. The guy's name on Reddit is called Deep Fucking Value. And um, he also goes by on YouTube, Roaring Kitty. And in late 2019, he realized that the stock was way undervalued. He basically, his argument is pretty simple. It's like, look, this is not a company that probably has a very long future, but the drive to digital is not going to be as fast as people think that it is. They have a high number of Power Up Rewards members that are loyal to like 55 million Power Up Rewards members. Um, and their their stores actually are have positive cash flow, so the, they're actually they're they're not in like a terrible they're not in like a great position, but they're not in a terrible one either. And they and he's saying that the stock value is is under where it should be. So he bought fifty thousand dollars worth of GameStop stocks back in September twenty nineteen at four dollars a share. So he's doing really well but it kind of brought a lot of people saying you're crazy this is nuts and then over the course of 2020 more and more people started to kind of go in on this until in 2020 end of 2020 the stock price had gotten up to like 20 like 18 bucks i think um so it had he had already done really really well but because all these other hedge funds were shorting the stock so heavily and they were constantly taking out these loans to buy more stock, they did this to such a degree that there's actually more loans out for the stock than there is actual stock, which is where that 120% number comes from. So basically what Wall Street Bets realizes is that this is going to be a squeeze because they're going to have, as the price goes up too high, the hedge funds are going to have to start paying a lot of interest to keep the shorts going, or they're going to try to cash out. And this interest on on Reddit started to build up into such a frenzy that it, it caused a huge demand to buy GameStop stocks, which is why the price went up um, last week, in conjunction with very likely a lot of these hedge funds are realizing the price is going up too high, and there are brokers telling them they have to now pay off that that loan which drove up the price further so you had stocks that were um, being bought as well as shorts that were being um, paid out Um, and that's kind of what contributed to um, that price going up Um, now this is where things get really hairy is is the question of is this going to keep going up is the gamestop 
stock going to go up again? And that's kind of the big question right now. Um, the Wall Street Bets is telling everyone to hold, or the majority of people in Wall Street Bets are saying, hold your stock, don't sell anything. The idea being that if enough people have bought GameStop stock and enough people are holding on to it, it's going to force the um, hedge funds that are still um, sh- are still shorting to um, to have to pay up at an even higher price. It's basically just a giant fu to hedge funds. Okay. Um, there's been good. Yeah. No, 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 go ahead. No, I I have so much to say. So like, if you we can stop here for right now, it's totally cool. So here is the I guess a uh, couple questions as I would think of it. So uh, this person who took a $50,000 position in the stock in April, right? So mm-hmm. they are obviously, um, they are incentivized for the stock to continue to go up, correct? Yeah. Right? Uh, because they still own s- some degree of, some number of shares. They are, uh, that incentivization manifests as if other people buy this, my stock goes up. Mm-hmm. And as they hold on to it, my stock continues to either retain value or not lose value, right? Or maybe even appreciate value. So yeah. there's certainly a, a kind of what would appear to be disingenuous intent, right? Like telling people, oh, you, you know, this is what's going to happen. Because I, I don't know what the stock closed at today, uh, GME. It closed at um, 92, and then after hours it ended at um, 89. I have it actually on my phone right here. I've, been, I've literally been watching this stock on my phone to the side of whatever I'm doing all day for the past week. <laughs> Yeah. Like the question is, is GameStop really a $92 stock? And I think, you know, the answer is not just um, those metrics that this person was kind of calling out. There are other indicators on whether this stock is a good performer. And the way that I understand it, and I I could certainly have a a very bad understanding of it, that this stock, they have not been performing well, not just the past year, but it's like the past several years. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Right, like it's been a five dollar stock for a They've long. They've been closing long stores. Time. Yeah, they're they're um, losing money every well, losing money every year, but they are um, their cash to debt ratio is shrinking, and their um, their their uh, yearly revenues are going down every year. Yeah, like by a to lot say, too. By a lot, yeah. Well, uh, and I think that's you know even if you remove the past twelve months from the equation, you know, COVID. Still, these people mm-hmm. are not. They they don't have like a, um, they don't have a business that just kind of pumps out cash like, you know what I mean? Like uh, other uh, <laughs> like Apple does. Not that I'm trying to compare them yeah. to Apple, but uh, I think you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, like it it seems like that there are, the perspective of some of the people that are on Wall Street bets are like we need to hold the line no matter what, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's the right perspective because you you know there are just many more people with much more money than you that can take much more of a loss than you, and I don't mean you personally, but just absolutely these people yeah. uh, that have the ability to influence markets way more than you know ten thousand or fifty thousand or maybe even a hundred thousand people on Reddit that are doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It just seems it it seems like. At the moment, I think GameStop and AMC uh, too good to be true, right? Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, I want to respond to one thing you said earlier too, which is like, kind of, it seems disingenuous. 
Yeah. And that was my first like huge question is who is behind this? Exactly. Like what is going on? Because I like go to the whole like market manipulation thing and like how shorting a stock in and of itself is not market manipulation, but like false news stories are. Okay, well, you could say, like, oh, all these stories of GameStop not doing well and closing stores, it's, that's the shorts in action. I'm like, but that's legitimate. I don't know any gamer who thinks GameStop is a great company. It's, like, unanimous that people hate GameStop. You call them, they always bug you about selling you their, um, selling your games to them or some dumb promotion that they have going on at that moment. Their stores are kind of dingy and crappy and overstuffed with advertisements. And, like, they're just – you don't ever go into GameStop and be like, oh, wow, this is a premium experience. Like, it's just not – so it just seemed so weird to me that, like, the stock was going up. I'm like, who – who is like putting this up? And the more I looked into it, I've kind of realized like it is just people who want to screw these hedge funds. I really think that's kind of, that is legitimately what is happening here. I even looked at Roaring Kitty and his streams because I'm like, is he even pushing people to um um to buy and and hold that kind of stuff? And and not really. His latest stream was his last stream was um a little bit before the big squeeze even happened, mm-hmm. and. He hasn't streamed at all since. He actually said he's going to take a break from streaming. Um, and he just was saying, like, I don't know if this is going to be a short squeeze or not. He's like, I don't know how this works. I just thought that GameStop seemed undervalued, so I put my money where my mouth is and, and invested in them. And he also makes this comparison, too, with GameStop, saying that they're like, they're like us. They're not a burnt-out cigar. They're a roach. Like, yeah. Like, there's still a little bit left to smoke in them, but it's not enough to carry out for the next few years. Um, so, like... I kind of feel like it is genuine in the sense that people are trying to screw over the hedge funds as opposed to like, like they're pretty open about that, but I don't necessarily, I shouldn't say genuine because like they are, they say what they mean, but I don't think this is necessarily the most genuine way to do it. And I think one thing you also there nailed it on that too, which is you're, you're going up against hedge funds who have way more capital, who have been doing this professionally for as their career like this is what they do they're way yeah. better at this than than wall street bets is this is like saying we're gonna beat the yankees so let's get a bunch of random people from the internet and crowd a baseball field so we can beat the yankees in a baseball game it's like you're not gonna do it the yankees are gonna beat you every time yeah and the, if you want to ba- go, go ahead yeah no no no, 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 no. that good just the, the the you know not only it, not only could it be disingenuous, but you have these who you have individuals who are kind of lining up behind this person to support him, and for whatever reason, you know, uh, they're agreeing to do it. When these people lose the money that they're playing with, right? Because uh, you know the the other part of the story is that this is mm-hmm. being done not necessarily with money that you have in your account; it's being done on, on margin, right? And when yeah. <laughs> when the phone rings and it's margin calls, you need to pay that bill. Um, where you people who are going to lose like a lot of money uh, with this, I think it's just it kind of paints a picture of like a um, how would I say this? Maybe like for like a two thousand eight kind of uh, redistributed towards the working man and not towards the big banks and uh, uh, in the uh, auto industry. Yeah, I, th- I think the people who are going to make out in this are the people who bought in early. Anyone who bought for anything over, anyone who bought anything over for like $200, I really feel like is going to get screwed. Uh, I know there are some people um, who put in money because 
they knew it was going to be a loss. They just want to contribute to this movement. That's totally cool. I'm worried about the people who put in margins, um, have, who have margin accounts with these brokers like Webull or, um, or Robinhood and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm really worried about them because it's it's just from what I've seen, it's not going back up again. Um, and there's a few reasons for this. I've been following the memes and kind of what the memes are saying on um, on Wall Street bets, and there's two that I just want to call out as just simply not accurate. Okay. And and I figured out this is inaccurate based on like my week of research into this. So like I, it's fluid. it's yeah. So like yeah, again, take this with a grain of salt. But like to me, it doesn't seem very accurate. So there, there's two things I want to talk about. One of them first, which is the Volkswagen comparison, because there's this Volkswagen big squeeze, right, that happened in 2008. Mm-hmm. And just to, two seconds on that, I don't want to be too long because that's a whole other huge topic. But basically, what happened with Volkswagen is they were there was a, a really terrible market at the time because things had crashed, right, mm-hmm. and a lot of companies were betting that people weren't going to be able to buy cars, so they're shorting Volkswagen. Okay. Because, oh, people aren't going to be able to buy cars, this is going to go down. Um, well, what ended up happening is that as they're being shorted, Porsche ended up um, increasing... They had a bunch of options in Volkswagen, and they decided to live up to those options, and they increased their stake in Volkswagen from 35% to 70% or more. I don't know the exact number where it landed, but that sudden increase in stock going away caused the um, a, a, a gigantic um, loss in the supply of Volkswagen stock available, which made it harder to pay out the shorts. That's what caused that big spike to occur, because mm-hmm. there was a sudden increase in the demands to the dwindling supply that had happened it was sudden and that's why it shot up so fast and everyone is kind of saying oh this thing with GameStop is the same as that and the reason that I just from what I'm looking at think that is wrong is for starters the hold the whole like hold the line don't sell your stocks it's not working so I've, I'm using Weeble and what I can see in Weeble, because um, they have a lot of um, numbers to look at there, but one of the things they show is the volume of stock being traded, how many of it is bought, how many have sold, and how many is, of it is neutral, right? The There is a 33% split across the board. There's 33% holding, 33% selling, and 33% buying, which means there's not enough holders yeah. to to keep that demand from spiking like it would, like it did with the Volkswagen situation. So that's one element of it. The second point is there's this, I think, misconception of what days to cover means. I keep seeing this is going to spike on Thursday or Friday because they have 2.5 days to cover this. They have 2.5 days to, to pay back mm-hmm. um, the shorts. Here's the issue with that. Days to cover is not actually a deadline. Days to cover is a ratio of how many stocks are shorted versus the trading volume per day. And saying it's saying that if you were to pay out your shorts to the maximum amount of the volume per day, oh, then it would much- take 2.5 days yeah. to pay off all the shorts. It's not a deadline. It's a ratio. Yeah, it's a... Uh- it's like a like a liquidity rating, like how much, how long it would take you to to call all that back. Is that how I think of it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
So it, it, people are treating it like on Thursday, suddenly this is going to spike up because the hedge funds are going to have to um, pay up. Yeah, but that's not how that works. They don't have to. They can continue continue to paying interest or brokerage fees or however it works with their um, broker. Um, they just continue to pay those fees for as long as they want. And so I think that what's happening here is that the hedge funds are going to slowly um, buy back their their shorts over time, mm-hmm. which is why the trading volume is so insanely high on GameStop this week, but the value is still going down. Um. So I feel like it's not going to spike. This is this squeeze. It is going to be squeezed, but it's going to happen without a spike and long and drawn out over time. Yeah. Uh, so it says here days to cover. I'm not. Uh, I'm just reading from the uh, from the internet. Is calculated by mm-hmm. taking the number of days. Sorry, the current number of shorted shares and dividing by the number of average daily trading volume for the company in question. For example, if investors mm-hmm. have shorted two million shares of ABC. Its average daily volume is one million shares per day. It has two days to cover. So, uh, so what you're saying is, in the example where they're t- are they talking about GME or is it AMC or what is it? Either one of them. Okay. I think GME is two point five days, but either way, there's no yeah. deadline. Just because kind of the the point. Yeah. There's no hardened deadline. A broker can still say pay up now, buddy, but I don't, I don't see sign of that happening. Yeah. I just sent you uh, two links while we were talking. So one is to Chris Saka. He's one of the original investors from uh, Twitter, and he has got like this, this mm-hmm. ten nest, this ten tweet, or nested tweet, thread tweet, whatever you want to call it, where he talks about what's been going on. Uh, it's really interesting. So have a chance to read it. And then I also yeah, sent absolutely. you a, a link to this video. Um, it's so funny. It's Hodel Gang. Have you ever seen it before? No. Oh my god, we gotta watch it together. It's so funny. Click the link. <laughs> There's no one on the stream, so it doesn't matter. Oh, that's Shamath, the guy at the very beginning. Yeah. So it's super funny. Super funny. Yeah, that's good. It was in John Oliver, and that's how I, I remember seeing it. Uh, it was like last year or the year before. Hodel gang, hodel gang, hodel gang, hodel gang. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, hold a gang? Uh, hold in. Um, anything else we want to talk about tonight? I actually had a third point really quickly. This one's much, much, much oh, quicker, I promise. Sure. No, that's fine. Um, the other ones are long tangents. Um, the other thing that's being mentioned as to the stock shortage percentage is 120, mm-hmm. 140%. Um, those get, that gets updated every two weeks. So people saying, oh, it's still 120%. They haven't closed out their shares yet. It's because the number literally hasn't been updated. Yeah. It's going to be it's... updated on Friday. But there's another company called FINRA. They're a private organization, and they track that every day. The shortage percentage is now 226%. Hmm. And the reason, I think, is that they're buying shorts on the $300 plus values so they can short the stock throughout the week and make up losses from the first shorts that didn't work out. Yeah. So the hedge funds are going to come out on top on this, and people are going to get hurt are people who bought in way too high. Yes, which is, I mean, that's... It's, it, I mean, it's, a, it's like a pyramid scheme at this point where people are just trying to get in because they have they have FOMO, right? They they don't want to miss out, and they're like, "Oh, I got to <laughs> yeah. get in because everyone's telling me it's going up. I got to buy." Yeah, like when my friends be part of a movement. Yeah, like when my yeah. friends tell me, "Hey, Mike, did you hear about X Y stock?" I'm like, "Okay, if you're hearing about it, you shouldn't be buying it because you are the top of the pyramid." Right, like mm-hmm. it's it's very no, I mean, bottom of the pyramid, not top of the pyramid. Yeah, that's uh, I, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like the people, it's who great are, when you're. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. 
No, I, I, I've been talking way too much. You go ahead. No, yeah. So people, if, when, when, like, your friends who normally don't talk about any of this stuff start asking you questions, you know that right there it's getting ready to collapse very soon because these people who don't know anything about stocks are, or maybe not nothing, but they don't have, um, like, the breadth of knowledge and experience of investing, and they start talking about it. You're like, okay, this something's going to collapse real soon, right? Because <laughs> they are, yeah. they are the, the part of the pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, I went to a pyramid scheme meeting with a friend of mine once because he was going to invest in it, and I was just like, I want to. I'm not going to buy anything. I just want to see what this is like. And it's always the one guy who's like, I have made so much money off of this, and this has so been so lucrative for me. And it's like, yeah, it's lucrative for him because he needs you guys to to keep buying yeah. into it as well. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's like and that's the Warren Kitty. Like he made forty million dollars <laughs> uh, one day on this. And or up to forty million, depending on whatever ends up happening. He's that guy who's like, "Hey, I did so well with this." Like, yeah, you did well with this because you bought in twenty nineteen. <laughs> That's why yeah. you did so well with this. It's not the same for everyone else who bought it on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday last week. No, you bought it four dollars a share, tw- uh, you know, twelve months ago. Yeah, that's why he can hold too. Because even at ninety dollars, where it's at right now, he's still killing it. He's still crushing it. All right, Mister Holden. Uh, tell me, let me know where can everyone find you at? Um, you can find me at respawn aim fire, which is a video game podcast. If you want to hear more video game discussions and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm also just on Twitter at Holden Depardo, but, um, I'm mostly on respawn aim fire. That's okay. Well, thanks very much, Holden. Uh, actually that's a note that I should probably update your Twitter handle to show your last name on there. I don't think I've ever noticed that, that it's wrong. Well, that's all good. Holden, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, it was a great talking to you about all the crazy things, including that that Xiaomi wireless charger that who knows what's going to happen with that and uh, Hodel Gang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hodel Gang. <laughs> Holden, we'll talk to you next one. All right. Have a good one, Mike. You, you too.